Welcome to the Gather Houston podcast. We are a Christian community practicing the way of Jesus in all parts of life and for the good of all people. Thank you for joining us today. Well, in case uh, you didn't know, I am now uh, the father of two boys. Uh, Henry Baldwin Hilburn was born on 2-22-22, and uh, I talked a lot about Henry last Sunday in my sermon, and so I thought I probably shouldn't do that uh, today, uh, but then I changed my mind, so I'm just going to do it anyway. Uh, and having uh, ha- having a second child, there's a lot that's different than when we had our first, when we had Ellis, uh, but there is this one phenomenon that I'm remembering over these last few weeks, the same thing that happened with Ellis is happening now with Henry within days of their birthdays between di- within days of their births our friends and our family members and our beloved community started asking so are you ready for another one right uh have you done this before like um we didn't sleep at all the night before people are like you want another and uh, the answer in those moments is definitely not. Uh, and uh, when we had Ellis, they asked if we were ready for number two. When we had number two, now they're asking if we're ready for number three. I imagine if we have number three, they'll ask if we're ready to be done yet. When, when Katie and I started dating, like by our third date, people were asking, like, do you think you might get engaged? As soon as we got engaged, people said, congrats, comma, when is the wedding? As soon as we got married, they started asking, do you think you're ready? to have kids. Like she didn't even have our, my last name yet. We were talking about kids. When we did first get married, Katie was teaching kindergarten. And I remember going to visit her kindergarten class and they were asking, the school was asking kindergartners what they wanted to be when they grow up. Like these kids did not have a good handle on shapes yet, but they were supposed to choose a career. In this Lenten season, we're having a conversation about moving from fear to love. And we need this move from fear to love. We need this transformation because to know love is to be fully human. And so today we're talking about moving from fear because fear wanders the future, but love plants here. Fear wanders the future. Fear always asks, what will your future look like? Is your future good enough for you? Fear always, always, always asks, do you want another one? Are you going to have another one? If you're, if you're married, do you need kids? If you're engaged, when are you going to get married? If you're dating, when is the wedding? Fear always asks, what's next? But love plants here. Love calls us to be here and now. And honestly, us Christians, we might be the worst at this. We have the hardest time being present here. We often make our entire faith a means to an end. We diminish here and now in hopes of an unknown then and there. We forego present participation because we think there's going to be a future reward. I've heard pastors Uh, laugh at things like environmental justice and brag about driving their F-350s because who cares about the planet if we all just fly away to heaven in the end? I've heard religious leaders downplay and dismiss abuse of all kinds with phrases like, well, God will just deal with it in the end. But our faith is not meant to be a means to an end. 
It's not an exercise in collective escapism or avoidance. Love plants here. Love calls us to present participation. And there are a couple of places in scripture that I want to look today. And um, these are passages that are typically used by church people, by us, you and me, to justify that means to an end, future-oriented, forego the present kind of faith. These are passages that usually get used a little out of context to help us focus on a future reward, reward in such a way that we forego present participation. And the first one is Jeremiah chapter 29. You probably know Jeremiah 29 verse 11. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. A plan a hope, a future. When you just pluck this one verse out, it's really easy to say, well, clearly this means forget what's happening around us right now. Forget our present. God's got our future. It's easy to think that because you just pluck it out of context. If you read the rest of Jeremiah chapter 29, especially the verses just before uh, verse 11, you get something a little different. This is what it says, starting in verse four. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. You hear this? The people of God have been exiled. They are, are essentially imprisoned in a foreign land. They don't want to be there. They want to go home. If they plucked out verse 11, the future, the plan, the hope of prosper in their mind would be, I get to leave here. I get to go home and never think about this again. But that's not where it sits in the passage. What God says to them, what God says to his people is settle down, build plant. That's the future. That's the plan. Be present, right? God says, don't wander a future that it looks different than your present. Build houses, plant gardens, stay right where you are. The plan, the future is to be present and settled through it all. And then in Second in, in Timothy chapter four, uh, Paul is writing to Timothy he says in, in verse five, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all of your duties of your ministry, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will award me on that day. And not only to me, but to also to all those who have longed for his appearing. And we are so uh, future-oriented as a people that we immediately go, uh, yes, there is in store for me a crown of righteousness. Yes, yes, yes. And this is a classic example. We do this a lot. This is a classic example of we highlight the wrong section of the passage and make it the main point. Because Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy is the recipient. He's kind of the main char 
character in this story. Paul is giving instructions to Timothy and all this flowery language in, in uh, verse six, is, six, seven, and eight. I'm going to be poured out like a drink offering. I've run the race. I'm getting a crown of righteousness. Do you hear what Paul is saying? Paul's saying, I- I'm about to die. I'm about to die. Paul's speaking for himself. That's it. He's not giving instructions to anyone else about how they should uh, think about their faith or their religious experience. What Paul is saying is, I'm about to die. So Timothy, here's what I need you to do. Keep your head, endure, do the work. That's the point of this passage. Keep your head, do the work, endure. In other words, be present, show up. It was the message of God to his people in exile. Be here now. It's the message from Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Be here now because fear wanders the future, but love plants here. No escapism, no avoidance, no wandering a future that looks vastly different than our present. No love plants here. And I I think for most of us, we have a pretty polarized view of the future. When we do wander the future, it's pretty polarized. Here's what I mean. I think some of us, when we think about this future, our our imagined future, we imagine our life as entirely better, entirely easier, entirely perfect. Everything is exactly as we could ever want it or imagine it. That's how we think about our future. It's like uh, like like this Michael Scott quote. I hope you like Michael Scott. He says, uh, Yes, money has been a little bit tight lately, but at the end of my life, when I'm sitting on my yacht, am I going to be thinking about how much money I have? No, I'm going to be thinking about how many friends I have and my children and my comedy albums. I mean, I have a yacht, so obviously I did pretty well money-wise. Right? Idealization of the future may be connected to words like uh, emotional bypassing or toxic positivity. So I think that's on one side of these polarized views of the future. We idealize everything. When we think about our future, everything is idealized. And it's connected to things like emotional bypassing and toxic positivity. So that's on one side. And then on the other side, I think we have not an idealized future, but an apocalyptic future. When we think about five or 10 years ahead, we think, man, if everything doesn't go just right, if I don't hold on to everything just perfectly, our view of the future has like shrapnel flying and there's smoke in the foreground. Nothing is going right. We're barely surviving alone. We've got our kids on our back or something, right? It's a war movie in our future. It is apocalyptic. Right? And I think that's where we typically go in our mind. Either everything's going to be perfect or nothing is going to work out. Right? It's either idealized or apocalyptic. And when we have this apocalyptic view of the future, that's connected to words like catastrophizing. I don't know if you're familiar with that word. It means like projecting disaster without any real evidence of disaster. We do this a lot. It's like if your partner doesn't text you back for 10 minutes, you think, well, either they're dead or they're cheating on me. There's only two options. It's catastrophizing. This apocalyptic future also may be connected to, to things like fortune telling, where we think we can see the future, even though we clearly do not have that ability. Right? We assume and plan around the worst possible outcomes. 
And I, I wonder if you just had to consider for yourself, are you more, are you more, uh, more prone to be a, someone who idealizes the future or, or paints an apocalyptic future? If you, just, if you just had to say, which one do I more likely do? Do I say everything's going to be perfect? It'll all be fine. Or clearly the whole world is ending. Which, which one do you skew towards? And it may just be easiest to think, all right, about two years ago, when I was uh, watching the news or scrolling on my phone, and I was reading about this virus, did I think, oh, this will be over in two weeks? Or was I, was I uh, looking for like homestead properties to flee the city? Right? Which were you more likely doing? Maybe that could help you know if you're uh, more of an idealizer or an apocalyptic uh, person when you think about your future. For me, I, I leaned more towards doing that idealization. I think I do it as a way to push down those negative emotions and control them to say, I've got this. I can handle it. It's fine. It'll all be fine. I usually like to go with, if we all work hard at this, everything will be just fine. It's, I, I downplay that. Right? It's, um, it's that emotional bypassing. Right? I kind of bypass myself and then project out toxic positivity. That, that's my more natural lean. But both of these views of the future, the, the ideal and the apocalyptic view of the future that we often have, we often maybe oscillate between, both of those views of the future, they're both rooted in the fear of dealing with what is right in front of us in the present. We do that because we are, refuse to just look in the eye what is right in front of us. Fear wanders the future, but love plants here in the call of scripture from Jeremiah to the apostle Paul is to be here now, to settle down, to keep your head, to endure and do the work here and now. So for you, how much time do you spend wandering the future? How much time do you spend wandering the future in, in, in positive and negative ways? Not, not just daydreaming, but also in that kind of apocalyptic kind of way. Everything is crumbling. How much time do you spend wandering the future? And do you have a future you imagine that is radically different than your present circumstances? Good or bad? Do you have a future you imagine that is radically different than your present circumstances? And I wonder why. What is in front of you that is making it hard to stay present? And as I ask that question, I think, what happened in your past that makes it hard for you to stay present? And I wonder for you, has your faith primarily been about a future reward or about present participation? Has it been more uh, prosper, hope, and plan or more settle down, build houses, and do the work? Has it been more future reward or present participation in your religious experiences. And for you, what do you think could help you stay present this week? That could help kind of ground you, help you plant. So um, my, my last kind of uh, moment of working through this, I've, I've had lots of these uh, in my life. Uh, I'm prone to a little bit of anxiety, but uh, in, in the waiting room, before Katie's C-section, Katie had a planned C-section, so she um, got kind of taken back, and I'm just hanging out in the waiting room. Jeopardy's on. There's a few other scared dads out there, and um, 
I was freaking out a little bit. It took a good bit longer than I was expecting it to take. And uh, I was pacing heavily. Uh, I could not sit down or sit still, just freaking out a little bit. And so what I started to do in that waiting room and in, in, uh, waiting for Katie C-section to be kind of called back, what I started to do, uh, I told you this last week online, but I started just saying the welcome prayer that we say around here a lot. So I just started saying to myself, welcome, welcome, welcome. I welcome everything that comes to me today, and I know that it's for my healing. And then I would kind of have a moment of wandering the future, freaking out about what was happening in places that I couldn't see. I didn't know where Katie was, how Henry was doing. And I would pray to myself, welcome, welcome, welcome. I welcome everything that comes to me today, and I know that it's for my healing. And I said it over and over and over and over again through that whole day. And it was just like love planting me to the ground, rooting me here, keeping me from wandering a future. And so maybe for you, as a way to just stay present this week, you could find a phrase, a prayer, a mantra to help plant you in the ground. We've talked about these before. Sometimes it's as simple as, yes, thank you. You just pray, yes, thank you. You could pray, welcome, welcome, Welcome. You could pray, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You could find a, pray, a phrase, a prayer, a mantra that could just help plant you a little bit. Our, our faith and our lives are not meant to be a means to an end, where we seek out a future that is drastically different than our present circumstances. We are called to be here and now because fear wonders the future. But love plants here. So I, um, I, I firmly believe, firmly believe that the goal of the Christian life is union with God. And union with God, not, not just there and later, but union with God here and now. So we settle where we are here and now. We build and we do the work here and now, and we experience divine love in all of it here and now. But I don't want today, as we talk about all this here and now, that this union with God here and now, what I don't want to do is I don't want to take away or diminish your view of a restored eternity with God. I, I, I don't want to take away your hope for a future where all things are made right, where every tear is washed away, where all things are new. I don't want to diminish that hope. But, but I want you to hear today, like, like Pete Holmes says it, if you're not happy on the plane, you won't be happy in Hawaii. If you're not happy on the plane, you won't be happy in Hawaii. If you can't find contentment and happiness and joy and peace, if you can't find union where you are, the next thing, whatever it is, won't bring it either. If you don't like him while you're engaged, you probably won't like him when you're married. If two kids didn't bring you fulfillment, then three won't either. If you have hated every job you've had for the last five years, then it might not be the jobs after all. If you're not happy on the plane, you won't be happy in Hawaii. And listen, you are the only you that will ever be. You are the only you 
that will ever be. The future you is the same you that's sitting there today. You are the only you that will ever be. You may shift and change your circumstances around little by little, but you are the only you that will ever be. And if you aren't happy on the plane, you won't be happy in Hawaii. So listen, start right now. Here. Overcome the fear of your present reality. And plant here. Do the work. Keep your mind. Settle down. Endure here and now. No matter the idealized view of your future, no, no matter the apocalypse you think you see coming, be here now because fear wanders the future, but love plants here. So gather, this is my prayer for us today. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome everything that comes to you today and know that it's for your healing. Resist the urge to wander an idealized or apocalyptic future and plant right where you are. There is love and connection right here. So be here now. May it be so. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in Gather, check out our website at gatherhouston.org or visit us on Sunday at 10 a.m.